Carmelita. How all of my brothers and sisters? That's very good. In the name of Allah, the all-wise, true, and living God. Not a living God, not a dead God, but a living God. The one to whom all praise is due. The Lord of all the worlds. Whom we forever thank for giving us here in America our beloved leader and teacher, the most honorable and humble Elijah Muhammad. Brothers and sisters, many of you are here this evening, having traveled a long way, some of you a short distance, and many from a long distance. I saw some here today from San Francisco, which I imagine is a long ways away, and also Fresno and other places. I even saw some from Mississippi. I know that's a long way. But we do know that those of you who have come from near, as well as those who have come from far, have traveled uh, primarily to see and hear the man whom the entire world is talking about and writing about today, our beloved leader, teacher, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Many of you who have been listening to the Honorable Elijah Muhammad here in Los Angeles every Sunday night on station, uh, radio station KALI, I think it's every, ten, every, every, every Sunday night at 10 o'clock here, isn't it? Right. On station KALI, he'll also be on there tonight. You've noticed that he has had a severe cold, cough, recently, and despite, and he has had this since the convention that we had in February in Chicago, and since the convention, he has been trying to find a chance to get away and get a little rest, vacation from his uh, heavy duties, so that he can throw this cough or cold off, but despite uh, the physical handicaps that he has been undergoing. Uh, last week, he agreed to come here to California. He has been content, uh, continuing his radio broadcast each week. But despite this, he accepted the speaking engagement here on, on the West Coast, because of which many of you saw him Saturday or Friday night on the television. He conducted a two-hour press conference Friday, the entire press was there, at least all of the white press was there. I didn't see any of the Negro press, but the white press was there. And I would like to say right here that one of the mistakes the Negro press makes and has been making has been sitting in your office waiting for the white man to write something about black people in his paper, and then you pick up his paper and rewrite it in your paper. <laughs> The, the, the crime that you commit is, as a Negro reporter, when you rewrite what the white man has said about your own kind, you don't have intelligence enough to separate the truth from the falsehood. And 
then you wonder why the so-called Negroes refuse to buy the so-called Negro paper. They are tired of seeing you parrot what the white man says about all of the ills and uh, immorality that exists in our community and in our neighborhood. But here in Los Angeles, thanks to Allah, you have a, a good black newspaper known as the Los Angeles Herald Dispatch. <laughs> It's so black that some of you can't even take it. <laughs> but we, we thank Allah for the Los Angeles Herald Dispatch because of its uncompromising stand on the side of truth and in the struggle against the uh, those who have inflicted oppression against our people here for a long time. And I think that... Uh, no one is more aware of uh, the good work that the Los, An Los Angeles Herald-Dispatch is doing than the Honorable Elijah Muhammad is. It's one of the, the Los Angeles Herald-Dispatch has become one of the most respected and feared black newspapers in North America. In fact, I should say it's one of the only black newspapers in North America because most of the others have allowed themselves to fall under the control of the white man. I know that uh, there might, may be some representatives here from the local Negro press, and I'm not uh, biting my tongue in what I say because anyone can pick up your paper and tell by its content that you're not writing to please black people, you're writing to please white people. Black people are tired of that. The, 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 the black bourgeoisie, uh, who has a long time been able to read and write, they don't buy your paper anyway. Uh, they don't want to be seen with it because they be, have become too white-minded. So you are, you are, you waste your time trying to write to please them. And the, the black masses, whom you should be trying to please and who would buy your paper, they are fed up with your uh, misrepresenting them, not only to the local public, but to the public all over the world today. I hope that's understood. I don't know how we got on that, but... <laughs> the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, besides uh, being scheduled to meet the press, Friday, was also scheduled to meet the Negro church leaders on Saturday. They didn't show up. <laughs> so, since they didn't show up, uh, then perhaps some of them are here now, and we'll have a chance to talk to you in a few moments, all together. In fact, it's better, it's better to talk to a Negro preacher in front, and when I say preacher, I say Negro, I don't say so-called Negro. It's better to talk to a Negro preacher. All praises due to Allah. 
it's better to talk to a, a Negro preacher in front of his congregation rather than in the corner somewhere. Because most Negro preachers will uh, uh, talk with the Honorable Elijah Muhammad behind the door and agree with everything he says. Won't fight him at all. But then they'll come in their church and try and tell you that Mr. Muhammad is wrong. We're tired of that. So we hope that tonight you have come out and we can get some of these things straightened out. Also, this morning, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad were, uh, was scheduled to meet with the business leaders of the, the when I say the so-called Negro business leaders of the Los Angeles uh, community. The, his reason for meeting the press first was to let the world know exactly what he stands for, for which he did. Uh, the reason that he uh, was scheduled to meet the Negro uh, preachers was because these black people here in America are in worse condition than any people have been anywhere since the beginning of time. Despite the progress that you have been told you are making, you're still the last one hired and the first one fired. They'll take one little handkerchief-head Negro from your community and, 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 and give him a great big job, make him the attorney general or the governor's assistant or the mayor's butler or something like that, and then that Negro will turn around and tell you that the white man has changed and that things are getting better. And you're, he's got a job, he's getting fat and greasy, and you're still the last one hired and the first one fired. So the Honorable Elijah Muhammad met the prince to let the world know what his program is. He scheduled a meeting with the Negro uh, church leaders because... They have more influence over our people than anyone else. Anytime a man hit, anytime you can be hungry and naked with no decent house to live in, and you will stand up and let someone tell you to suffer now, because later on, by and by, in the sky... Uh, <laughs> You're dealing with a very influential man. Anytime you can, uh, you will allow yourself to suffer the pangs of hunger now and be satisfied because some collar-wearing backward man is going to tell you that you will get your fill after you die up in the sky somewhere. I say that man has a lot of influence over your weak mind. I don't want you to think I'm, I'm, I'm here to ridicule you or insult you, but I know you came out here to listen to the truth. Now, if it's truth you want, you can remain. But if you don't think you can take any more truth than has been said, it's best that you leave right now.
because there are other people outside lined up waiting for your seat. Do you understand that? <laughs> The Honorable Elijah Muhammad scheduled the, the meeting with the Negro preachers because he wanted to talk with them. He didn't want a division. He wanted unity. So he asked them to come out where he could sit down and talk with them. He would understand them and they would understand him. And then they could all get up and fight a common battle against a common enemy for the good of a common people. The Negro preachers didn't show up. He scheduled a meeting with the Negro business leaders because he has realized the importance of the uh, so-called Negro business leader in our community. When we have a community, when we, number one, we constitute here in America, according to the government economists, a people whose purchasing power is $20 billion a year. And any time you have 20 million black people who, whose purchasing power or earning power is 20 billion billion dollars a year, you can't even hardly imagine what a million dollars is, much less a billion. 20 billion dollars a year. Yet they remain the last hired and the first fired. This shows you that individually these people probably are poor, but collectively they are a wealthy people. And despite this uh, mass of, uh, this, of, of uh, collective wealth, still the black people here in America individually suffer the worst form of poverty faced any people since the beginning of time. What happens to these billions of dollars that come through your fingers? It goes right through your fingers. And no man dares to tell you where it goes other than the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. He will tell you where it goes, and then after you see where it's going, it's up to you to plug up the leak. Uh, the, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad wanted to speak and discuss with the Negro, so-called Negro business leaders because he wanted to teach them how to go about getting the uh, recognition, the respect, and the sympathy of the black people in the black community. The, the, the average black businessman doesn't know how to get the uh, sympathy and the friendship of his own people who live in his own neighborhood. And because of that, the average black businessman will go into business, and because he doesn't know how to go about getting our people to patronize him, when they don't do it, he ends up uh, their enemy. He ends up an enemy to his own people, and they end up his enemy. There's a gap. Uh, 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 that has been created among the black businessman and the potential black customer. And the only one who can uh, eliminate that gap here in America today is the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Right. So he... Right. So it was uh, through Mr. S. Alexander, the publisher of the Los Angeles Herald Dispatch, that the uh, meeting with the so-called Negro press and the white press was set up. It was also through the good offices of Mr. S. Alexander that the meeting with the Negro preachers was set up, and it was also through the good offices of Mr. S. Alexander of the World Dispatch that the meeting with the uh, uh, leaders of the business economic business community here in Los Angeles was set up. Some of the business leaders came, and some of them didn't. Uh, more of them came, though, than the Negro preachers. The Negro preachers were somewhere else. And if you keep following them, you'll be somewhere else. <laughs>
I'm casting slurs at the clergy. Well, I'm right in saying this. He's telling you something about somewhere else. He's not Negro preacher who isn't telling you how to put a pot on your stove with some food in it. He's not telling you how to put a roof over your head that doesn't leak. He's not talking any of that kind of talk. He's telling you about some kind of uh, uh, action that's supposed to take place after you're dead. Well, that's not, wait a minute, that's somewhere else, brother. Uh, and that's some other time. And actually, it's for some other person. He's not taking a stand against your enemy. The Negro preacher isn't telling you that you are being knocked down and dragged and hung and oppressed and exploited. He doesn't go into your suffering. He tells you about how somebody suffered 2,000 years ago. Or he'll tell you how somebody suffered in Egypt 4,000 years ago. Or he'll tell you how wicked the people were in Sodom and Gomorrah 5,000 years ago. But when it comes to dealing with this suffering and this wickedness right now, he starts... He, that's hate teaching. <laughs> but brothers and sisters, you're intelligent. Why is it right for the Negro preacher to preach against the cruelty a Pharaoh who was a slave master and preach against the cruelty of Nebuchadnezzar who was also a slave master. But at the same time, he says it's wrong when you point out the cruelty of this modern-day slave master. Why is it right for the Negro preacher to get in his church and tell you about the enslavement of the Hebrews in the land of Egypt? and the enslavement and oppression of the Hebrews in the land of Babylon. But when you begin to talk about the enslavement of the black people in America today, that's hate teaching. If it's not hate teaching against Pharaoh, and it's not hate teaching against Nebuchadnezzar, then it's not hate teaching today against this modern Pharaoh and this modern Nebuchadnezzar. is due to Allah. I have to tell you this, that because of the, it was because of the severe cold, cough, bronchitis condition of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad that uh, he himself uh, didn't attend the uh, meeting for the Negro preachers Saturday. He knew they weren't coming. And uh, I had to substitute for him. And also this morning. And tonight, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad will not be here. He, and it's his greatest desire to be with you this evening. But because of his physical condition, it is absolutely an impossibility for him to be here this evening. I regret having to tell you this, but he has given me something to tell you myself in his behalf. And it's my intention to tell you if you can take it. Can you take it? <laughs> Perhaps I should point out that you probably don't realize the value of a man like the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. 
You have to realize there's value. Without him, we don't have a leader. Without him, we don't have a teacher. Without him, we don't have a champion. He's the only one will stand up and call a spade a spade. He's the only one will not turn his back in the face of the enemy. He's the only one that will tell it to you naked and uh, a bear, not caring what the enemy thinks or what his attitude or reaction is. This is the kind of man that you need as a spokesman for you today. You don't want somebody walking up to the man with his hat in his hand. You don't want somebody walking up to the man afraid to open up his mouth and tell the man how you feel. You don't want somebody that's going to tell you how the Hebrews suffered in the land of Egypt and the Hebrews suffered in the land of Babylon and is afraid to tell the white man today that these black people here are tired of suffering in this day and time. The number one thing the Honorable Elijah Muhammad says that we must have today is unity among our own kind. This was his purpose for calling the Negro preachers together. This was his purpose for setting up the meeting with the uh, leaders of the so-called Negro business uh, community. And this also was his purpose for having a desire to come and speak to you and me here this evening. To let me and you know that today we must have unity among our own kind. And with the unity of all factions, we can successfully achieve any aim that our heart desires. We have to have unity. It doesn't make any difference whether you are Baptist or Methodist or Catholic or Holy Roller. Don't care what you are. Uh, You're still catching hell. And you are not catching hell because you are a black Catholic. You're not catching hell because you are a black Baptist. You're not catching hell because you are a black sanctified. You're catching hell because you're black. So see, if you can't get together on the basis of religion, you should be able to get together on the basis of catching hell. (laughs) Even though you have not been able to pray together, Even though you have not been able to walk together or talk together, you must realize that we have all caught hell together. We have suffering in common. We have oppression in common. We have exploitation in common. We have second-class citizenship in common. We have the uh, first fired and uh, first hired and last uh, first hired and last fired in common. All of these things we have in common. So we must come today on the uh, we must come together today on the basis of that which we have in common. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches us, and we heard him yesterday, you heard him yesterday on the television, demanding a country for his people. He wasn't begging for some land. He was telling the man what we need, and telling the man what we want, and telling the man what we must have, or else. That's what the man wants to know. (laughs) You heard him him demanding a country for his people. I was there. 
I saw this room full of reporters, white reporters, and as he uh, stated his demands, they weren't hurt, they weren't indignant, they weren't angry, because they, they recognized the just, the just, justness in his demands. They know that you have worked 310 years for nothing. They know that they never paid you one dime. They know that you have never been intelligent enough to realize it. And they know that you have never been brave enough to tell them that you realize it if you did. But you know yourself, brothers and sisters, and we're all brothers and sisters. Everybody in here looks alike. We're related. We're relatives. Those who don't look like us aren't allowed in here tonight. Do you understand? This doesn't mean we're practicing segregation. This is what you call separation. <laughs> There's a lot of difference. Now, many of you all think that uh, uh, Mr. Muhammad is advocating segregation. He is not ad ad advocating segregation. He's advocating separation. Well, what is the difference? Uh, as he explained on the television, and as, as he also told the reporters, the difference is this. Segregation is something that is enforced by a, a superior upon an inferior. Separation is something that is done voluntarily by two equals. What do we mean? If you can't see it, you know yourself that when you're growing up in your father's home, you're an inferior. Your father tells you what to do. Why? He's your superior. He, he has authority over you. And he exercises that authority over you. He tells you what you can do and what you can't do. Is that right or wrong? you become of age and you think that you're a man, you move. You want a house of your own. You want a wife of your own. Your mother used to cook for you, but now you want your own woman who can cook for you. Is that right or wrong? Your, your father used to tell you what to do, but now you're a man. So you want a house of your own that you can live in and do as you please. When you were in your father's house, you had to please your father. But when you go out and serve housekeeping for yourself, you don't have to please anybody but yourself, your wife, your children, and your own kind. Is that right or wrong? Hold it. This is the difference between separation and segregation. Well, if you are uh, independent, you can separate yourself from your master. But if you are dependent, you have to stay in your master's house. But if you are the equal of your master, you can leave your master's house and set up a house of your own. Do you understand this? We don't talk to segregation talk, but we feel that what the white man has done for himself, the black man can do for himself. And the Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches us that when you find so-called Negroes that tell you that they cannot live without the white man, then they are, are not equal with the white man. They are not the equal of the white man. If you can live, if you are his equal, you can live without him. Why? Equality means you must have over here what you have over here. You both have the same thing. That's equality. 
Equality isn't for someone to recognize you while you're still poor. Equality isn't when Henry Ford tells you, are you all right with me? That's not equality. Why, Ford got a factory, brother. You're not equality until you got your own factory, just like Henry. I hope you understand. So when you hear us, those of us who follow the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, talk about separation, we're not talking about segregation. Segregation is what the white man has done to you. And you're, you know, you're separated right now. But the form of uh, separation you have experienced has been a segregated separation. Your master has segregated you. Your, what is wants? That's separation. What is Central Avenue? That's separation. Why don't you get nerve enough to accuse Muslims of talking separation when you're already separated from the white man? You have a separate economy. Your economy depends on his. You got a separate religion. Your religion depends on his. Is that right or wrong? Sure, that's right. You go into China and find a Chinaman that believes in Jesus and ask him to paint a picture, he'll paint Jesus looking like a Chinaman. You go up to Alaska and find an Eskimo that believes in Jesus, ask him to paint a picture of Jesus, he'll paint a picture of Jesus looking like an Eskimo. You come back here to America and find a white man that believes in Jesus, he'll paint Jesus looking like a white man. Go inside a Negro church who believes in Jesus and ask them to paint a picture of Jesus, they'll paint a picture of Jesus looking like the white man. what you call integration. Well, that kind of integration don't move us, brother. <laughs> Not nowadays. It was all right for grandma, because she didn't know an A from a B. But you call yourself educated today. You call yourself having gone to school and gotten what we say your boots links. And you come out and still have to get your boots from your master. <laughs> The Honorable Elijah Muhammad has taught us that uh, the leaders, our leaders, have never asked for anything for our people. Uh, uh, asking a man for recognition, that's not anything. Recognize me as your, how in the world are you going to be recognized by this man as his equal when you've got nothing? Just, just face that fact right there. You need something. But look here, you know what they, they call, there's the thing they call equalizer. I, I read, I saw a cowboy movie on the TV one night, and each one had their equalizers on the hips. Yeah. <laughs> he had one, the other man had one. They were equal. This man couldn't get bad with this man, because that man had the same thing he had. That's what you call equality. Why, Russia and America are equal, because Russia got bombs and America got bombs. The only reason Russia don't drop rockets over here because America got some rockets she can drop over there. That's what you call equality. <laughs> now, if the, the white man will come in your neighborhood with a rope, right. and you stand there with your knees knocking. Why? Because you don't have a rope of your own.
If he's got a rope, then you need a rope. That's equality. If he lynches, then you need to learn the art of lynching. That's equality. You say, why, man, you should be arrested. No. If the government hasn't stopped lynching, then the government should either be arrested or allow us to stop it. If the government can't stop it, then let us stop it. You already call us Black Ku Klux Klan. The Ku Klux Klan is a white organization that stands up for the rights of white people. We are a black nation that stands up for the rights of black people. The Ku Klux Klan demands everyone respect white women. The Muslims demand that everyone respects black women. What you talking about? Nothing wrong with that. That's equality. You need a, a lesson in what equality is. Your leaders have never demanded anything for you. Recognition as a, a ninth class citizen is not anything. When they tell you that you're second class citizens, brothers and sisters, that should open your eyes, but it doesn't. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches us that there's no such thing as second-class citizenship. You're either a citizen or you're not a citizen. And find me another country on this earth that has such a terminology as second-class citizenship. There's no such thing. It's only a tricky uh, term for one who is not a citizen, but whom you don't want to insult or hurt his feelings by telling him he's not a citizen. So you very diplomatically tell him that he's a second-class citizen, which doesn't exist. Do you understand? Second-class citizen is a man who doesn't have civil rights. What are civil rights? Citizenship. If he doesn't have civil rights, he doesn't have citizenship. So all of that speaks for itself. The very fact that you have to go to the United States Senate and Congress and President and hope that they will come in and, and, and pass legislation to put you in line for citizenship is admission on their part that you now don't have it. But you're too uh, modern sometimes to see that second-class citizenship is just another 20th century word for slavery. So the Honorable Elijah Muhammad is not asking the government for recognition here as citizens. He's not asking the government to recognize us as citizens equal with them. Well, he knows the government can't do it. The government can promise, but the government cannot make you a first-class citizen. If every senator and every congressman and the president and the Supreme Court agreed they still couldn't do it. It's not written in the books that the black man here in America will ever be a first-class citizen in this country. How can we prove that? Easy. Look at you. <laughs> You're the best proof. 
You have been the best servant. Number one, first, you were the most faithful slave any government ever had until a hundred years ago. Since then, you have been a willing servant. You have, you have served your master faithfully and willingly during peacetime. You have gone abroad and fought for your master bravely during wartime. And you have come back home and been hung on your master's tree by your master. Is this hate teaching? This is truth. Why, you can't deny it. You were a hero in Korea. Well, you charged the hill in the face of the enemy for your master. You weren't even an officer. The officer was white. He said, charge, boy, and you charge. <laughs> and you charge. Just like a man say, stick him to his dog. And that dog jump on a lion. Jump on a tiger. Jump on an elephant. Because his master has tra trained him to be a soldier. A watchdog for his master. Is that right or wrong? Understand this. You tell a dog. A dog can't whip a lion. A dog can't whip a tiger. A dog can't whip an elephant. Yet you can take that dog and train him. And he'll jump on an elephant. He'll even bite another dog. Is that right or wrong? Same way with you. The same way with you. You have been trained by your master. You are not a soldier. You're a watchdog. He says, sick him. You end up in Korea. You say, he says, sick him. You end up in Germany. You come back here and hear your mother crying out. Some white man is ravishing her in Mississippi. And you stand there with your knees knocking saying, what should I do, boss? What did you do in Korea? What did you do in Germany? What have you done for your boss? If it was right to fight for your boss, it should be right to fight for your mother. If you weren't committing nonviolence on the battlefields of Korea, if you weren't classified as violent, they didn't talk violence to you over there. They made you violent against their enemy. But as soon as you come back home and start talking about it's time for us to stop this lynching, they accuse you of being a violence teacher. Well, what about these crackers, brother, that are hanging black people from one end of the country to the other? Not only with rough, but with police clubs. All kinds of brutality against the black man. This is violence, but you'll never see your press accuse them of violence. It's only when you begin to say it's time for us to take a stand. And I'm here to tell you, beloved brothers and sisters, it's time for us to take a stand. There's nothing wrong with that. If the government can't stop lynching, then the government cannot blame you for defending yourself. 
That's the law of justice. You may say, well, is it right for the Honorable Elijah Muhammad to ask for some land? Will he get it? Does he deserve it? Has the Negro in America here earned it? I say again, you collect the wages of everyone in this audience for one week. The salary of everyone here, there's a couple thousand people here. Just pick up the wages that's earned by each and every person. You got some money. They all by themselves don't have much. But when you get that bag full, you got a lot. If you do that for a year, you're automatically a rich man. Well, when you, if you see that, what do you think about a country that uh, held back the wages of millions of black people, not for a year, but for 310 years? 310 years, you work like a horse, like a cow, like an ass, for not one day, uh, day's wage. All of the wages that would have been paid to you was stored up, was stocked up stacked up at Fort Knox. When you see that, you can see automatically America had to become the richest country faster than any other country in the course of history. Her wealth, her entire economy was based upon the sweat and the blood and the life of your and my grandmother and your and my grandfather for 310 years. United States government will appropriate money to pay the Indians, which they are doing and have done, for the land that they took from the Indians. What is that? This proves that the government, the present general, the present white generation, recognizes that they are uh, responsible for the uh, uh, debt incurred by the former generation of whites against the former generation of Indians. This generation of whites recognize the fact that they are responsible for the uh, debt of their forefathers. This America is an estate. And before the present generation of whites can spend the money that they have inherited from the former generation, they must realize that they also inherited the debts uh, 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 set up by the former generation of whites that must be paid. Now, the question is this. Will the white man pay it on his own, willingly, or will God have to step in? When a man won't pay his debt, you take him before the judge. Is that right or wrong? <laughs> the Honorable Elijah Muhammad is not asking for some land for Muslims. He's not asking for some land for just his followers. He's asking for some land for the entire 20 million so-called Negroes. You may say, well, if you all don't like it here, why don't you leave? We know what you say because we've been listening to you for a long time. 
Plus, you're a parent. Usually, you say what bosses taught you. That's right. You don't think of anything on your own. Uh, not when you're dealing with one of your own kind. Uh, you may say, well, if you all don't like it here, why don't you? Please understand. I'm not appealing to your emotion, but your reason, your intelligence. Don't you know that if the man, the white man, doesn't want us to pack our grip and leave him, and he doesn't, he's afraid you might get back home and start remembering what happened to you over here. <laughs> he can't take a chance. You don't think that you'll get like that. Long as you're sitting in a whiskey house drunk, brother, uh, you can't see anything but that whiskey. But when you leave that saloon and start to sober up, you can't even stand the smell of that which formerly intoxicated you. If you can see with your intelligence that it's impossible uh, for us to leave, and it's also impossible for us to stay as other than a servant, are you willing to remain a servant? And when you, if you think that integration will solve it, uh, Thurgood Marshall himself has admitted that it is seven years since the Supreme Court desegregation decision, and here in America you still have only 6% desegregation. You can't tell me because two black students are going to the University of Georgia that that's integration. Well, you got a million black people in Georgia. You can't tell me that four little black children in the white school system of New Orleans, Louisiana, is integration. You can't tell me that uh, a handful of black children going to school with white people in Little Rock, Arkansas, is integration. That's token integration. And what is a token? If you go outside and get on the streetcar, you put a token in the box. That token takes the place of money. Token is a substitute. Token is artificial. Token is not the real thing. And when the white man gives you token integration, it's like a, a, a pacifier that you give to your little baby when it starts crying. You pacify that little black baby to keep it from crying, but you don't give it milk. You give it a substitute. You give it a, a what looks like milk. Do you understand that? So now the Honorable Elijah Muhammad has shown us where the white man here in America is doing the same thing right now with the black man. He's giving you and me a, a token form of integration. And this token integration automatically already is meeting with rebelliousness from white people. They don't even want token integration. They turn Little Rock upside down to keep out token integration. They turn Georgia University upside down to keep out token integration. Why the white women went crazy in New Orleans, Louisiana, over token integration. What do you think they would do if a black man had nerve enough to stand up and ask for the real thing? Why that white man would go crazy showing up. knows that we can never have integration, and the black man is waking up and beginning to realize it, and it will take, uh, according to Thurgood Marshall, if they've only had 6% in seven years, at that rate it'll take another thousand years to get just uh, uh, desegregation in the schools. 
Well, I'm afraid that are you satisfied to sit around and wait for the white man to, uh, to make up his mind that you're a human being also? If you are, then you are known as a 20th century Uncle Tom. <laughs> You don't have a, a red handkerchief right around your head. You got a white handkerchief inside your head. <laughs> All wrapped up around your brain. So I cite these things, brothers and sisters. We have a few minutes longer, then we're going to let you ask questions on anything that has been said for about 15 minutes. So you won't say we're prejudiced <laughs> and that we're not giving you justice. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad has taught us that if our people understand the time, and uh, if your leaders actually understood Mr. Muhammad's actual aim, 99% of our people would be with Mr. Muhammad. And I would say this too, that if the so-called Negro leaders would tell you in public the same thing that they tell me in private, we'd all be in unity. But usually they, they, are, they are different type leaders in public than they are in private. You don't have hardly a Negro leader in America who will get behind the door and tell Mr. Muhammad he's wrong. Right. They'll shake his hand every time. Some of the worst Uncle Toms you have on the radio and everywhere else who attack him. You should hear them. I was on a, in a debate at uh, Harvard recently, Harvard College in, uh, in Boston, Harvard Law School Forum, about three weeks ago on Friday night. It was an NAACP debate in a Muslim. And the subject was the American Negro problems and solutions. And uh, so we, pre we pre presented Mr. Muhammad's solution. Everybody already know the problem. And, uh, uh, and the NAACP presented, they didn't even present an NAACP solution. All they did was spend all of their time knocking the Muslims program. Why, and one, uh, one white editor said to another person, he made a remark to another person, now here the Muslims came in and actually uh, put forth a solution, whether it was agreed with or not, it was set forth. And not one time did they attack the NAACP. But when the NAACP came forth, their entire time was spent maligning the Muslims. And even at that, though they were maligning the Muslims, the Muslims still didn't jump on it. As the paper said yesterday, Mr. Muhammad didn't have anything to say against the NAACP. The white reporters were shocked. Because as much as the different NAACP leaders have allowed themselves to open up, have allowed their, their master, puppeteer, to uh, maneuver them, to maneuver them into attacking the Muslims, still the Muslims have refrained from attacking the NAACP, and only when it takes place is in self-defense. And this man spent his night, entire night, doing the same thing. Well, we are not going to allow ourselves to be sidetracked fighting the NAACP, or fighting the Corps, or fighting the Urban League, or these other, other organizations who are headed by white people. We're not going to take time to fight them, but we do feel that when you have black organizations, they should have black leaders. Uh, an organization, for instance, like the NAACP, which is fighting for the advancement of colored people, it has had 50 presidents, or rather it has elected presidents 50 times. It's been in existence, I think, 51 years this year. And every year, they elect a different president. But every president that has ever been elected by the NAACP in 51 years has been a white man. That's something to think about. A lot of people think Roy Wilkins is the president. No, he's the front man. When you think...
was just like it's just like uh, Charlie McCarthy and Edgar Bergen. A lot of people never heard of Edgar Bergen. So all they have done is Charlie McCarthy. But that's not Charlie talking. That's Eric talking. <laughs> And you know yourself that any secretary takes his instructions from the president. And the national president of the NAACP is a white man today named Spencon. Spencon has been president for 21 years. Why, and they elect him every year. Now, I'm not saying that this is uh, uh, wrong, but since the NAACP is an integration organization, and integration means some for everybody, why, I think in 50 years they should have found some Negro in there intelligent enough to become president. Maybe they haven't. Maybe there's no Negro in there intelligent enough to be the president. Now, we won't question that. But then, there, then, then if there is no Negro in the national organization of the national of the Association for the Advancement of Colored People who is qualified to be the national president, then the NAACP has failed to cultivate leadership among our people. Integration means that when you come together in Nixon, that the white man will always be on top, then you can have integration. That's right. So why the leading organization fighting for, in for integration today, besides the NAACP, is the uh, uh, Urban League, and the Urban is supposed to be a black organization, but it has a white president too. Uh, the core, same thing. Every time you have an integrated organization, the white man always ends up on top of it. So I'm a suspicious. I'm cautious. <laughs> and this is why they accuse, I guess, Mr. Muhammad of teaching black supremacy. He says black people should be on top once in a while, too. <laughs> uh, I would like to point out, too, brothers and sisters, that it's just not intelligent for a black body to have a white head. It doesn't look right. When you look in the mirror and you see little white heads, you squeal. You get them away from there. And if a white man look in the mirror and see black heads, you squeal. They just don't go together. Black goes with black and white goes with white. When you see a black body, you should have a, a, a black head. And when you see a white body, you always have a white head. When Mexicans have an organization, they have a Mexican as the president. When Chinese have organizations, they have a Chinaman as the president. Japanese set up an organization, they set up a Japanese as this president. Jews set up an organization, they set up a Jew as the president. A Jew don't even get a Christian to be the president. Now here you are, a black man with a white president. You wonder why you're walking back. <laughs> Beloved brothers and sisters, in, in, when the Honorable Elijah Muhammad was, uh, if the leaders of our people are afraid to stick their neck out, then all we ask is that they get behind the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, let him stick his neck out. He'll take all the risks, brave all the dangers. All he asks, get behind him in a show of unity. If you can't agree with him, don't say anything. Don't open up your mouth at all. Don't say anything. 
Don't, when, when the white man says, oh, don't all those people believe it, don't you jump up and say, well, boss, Negroes don't believe in that. Don't be an apologist uh, for, for black people. You don't find white people apologizing for white people, what white people do to you. Well, don't you become an apologist. If you are a leader, lead your people. Don't apologize for your people. When, the, when those so-called Negroes in New York turned them at the UN United Nations upside down, and they turned it upside down, it wasn't us. We got blamed for it. We don't mind. Uh, but it wasn't us. It wasn't the Muslims. They give Muslims credit for everything, even things we don't do. <laughs> First thing the white man did, he ran to Roy Wilkins, and he ran to Ralph Bunch, and he ran to all the Negro big shots, and pumped them full, and then they stepped before the public and the microphone and the television light and says, this is a disgrace. I, 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 this does not represent the thinking or the feeling of the Negro community. How do they know what represents the thinking and the feeling of the Negro? They don't even live in a Negro community. You want to get Roy Wilkins on the telephone right now? Story. You want to reach Ralph Bunch? Call the world off their story. You want to reach any one of these Negroes who are supposed to be your spokesmen? The, the place don't look for them is in Harlem. I've never seen them in Harlem. Most of them don't dare to come to Harlem. <laughs> uh, and I don't say this to knock them, but this is fact. Uh, uh, they don't deny it. They, most of their work is in the white neighborhood. Most of the audience that they speak before are white audience, audiences. Uh, they very seldom ever come to speak to what you call a black audience. They speak to integrated audiences. And more white people are talking integration than black people. So whenever you have an integrated thing like that, usually you have more whites than black. But where Muslims go, you have more blacks than white. So we, we know how the people feel. Uh, you feel like keeping them out or you wouldn't be here. <laughs> the Honorable Elijah Muhammad says, in order to implement his uh, better program for the so-called Negroes here in America, we have to build uh, our own economy. But to order, in order to, with the last hired and the first one fired, which is an economic disaster. Every time employment is tough, you're out there in the breadline. As a, a, a representative of one of the labor unions here in Los Angeles was telling me today, he said that the, a government tells you about uh, unemployment, but they don't, uh, that there is six or seven percent unemployment in the country, but what they fail to say is that 75 percent of that six percent is black people. You know, that's cruel, isn't it? Meaning that, think of that, if, if 75 percent of the 6% unemployed in America today are black people, brother, well, that's almost a disaster. Well, what causes this? And what is being doing to correct it? In order to build our own economy in a government of white people that have perfected the very science of economics, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad says we must be doubly as smart as the white man is. But in order for us to be doubly as smart, we first have to have some land or territory of our own so we'll have something to be doubly smart on. Where the Negro businesses are concerned, many of them fail. Why? 
They're businessmen. They have stores. But what are they selling? What they're selling, they have bought a purchase from the white man. They themselves have gone to the white man and purchased something to resell to you. Is that right? Everything that's in the Negro store is a resale. And he has to resell it at a price high enough to get back his investment. He can't resell it in a white neighborhood because the white man won't buy from it. Or you can even get a, a, fan, a bag or a suitcase and go from door to door and start selling it. White people don't buy from you in white neighborhoods, but a black, a, a white salesman can come in a black sale, uh, neighborhood and sell. Think of this. Go get a kit, a selling kit, and go from door to door. Why, brother and sister, a white person won't open up their door for a black salesman. That's absurd. They don't want to think of it. But by the same token, white salesmen can knock on your door and sell you some uh, Eskimo jackets and you're never going to Alaska. <laughs> Everything that the brand, despite this, uh, uh, despite the odds that are against them in that direction, are, are in another direction. Everything the black businessman has to sell, he has to buy it, and therefore, it's a he's only acting as a salesman to the white producer and the white wholesaler. The real owner of the merchandise that the black businessman is selling is the white man. The white man is the owner. It's his goods. And he, he, he robs you when he sells it to you, and you got to turn around and rob your people to get your money back. And then you wonder why they won't come in your store. Please misunderstand. Well, the, honor, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches us that to build a sound economy for our people, we've got to produce something. Right. We have to learn how to be producers as well as consumers. Right. We have to produce the needs of our people. Right. And when we become the producers of what we, what we sell, Mr. Muhammad teaches us that we can then set the sale price ourselves instead of letting the white man set the price. When the white man is the producer, he sells it to the wholesaler. And the wholesaler sells it to you, and then you retail. Is that how it goes? What if you produced it and sold it yourself? Then you would be eliminating the producer's price, and also eliminating that mailman who is the wholesaler. And then you could sell it to your people at a low, at a low, at a low, at a low uh, price. Do you understand what I'm saying? Think of this. The white man knows this. He knows that as long as you walk around here begging for recognition and producing nothing, you're just a recognized slave. Right now, the condition or position that 20 million black people in America are in, you are, uh, uh, everything that leaves your pocket goes into the pocket of the white man. I don't say this talking against the white man. What I'm saying is just facts. Well, you can't bring me a white lawyer that will dispute what I'm saying. He couldn't do anything but sell me. If that's what they say. <laughs> so we're being robbed. But we're being robbed because we produce nothing of our own. 
And the Honorable Elijah Muhammad says that we must be producers as well as consumers. If we're going to be businessmen, then we have to learn how to produce that which we're going to sell. And when you become the producers of your own commodity, you're independent. Don't you know, uh, brothers and sisters, when if you're in business, I don't care if you've got a million dollar business, and you're not producing anything, you're just selling, you're still just a rich Negro. You're not a free Negro, you're a rich Negro, a rich slave. If you're selling cars, you can't sell the car without getting it from the white man. you just sell a salesman for the white man. If you've got a department store and selling clothes, and you're not manufacturing and producing your own clothes, you're just a salesman still. Right. Or a white man that's making those clothes. Right. And these are facts that may sound cruel, right. but yes, they're facts. Right. I don't care how wealthy you are. If you're not producing, you're still a slave for your mouth. You're just a wealthy slave. They got rich slaves and full slaves. They got educated slaves and dumb slaves. They got alley slaves and they got boulevard slaves. <laughs> Isn't that right? To clarify these things so you'll understand. Back before Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, they had different types of Negroes. Slaves. They got rich slaves and full slaves. They got educated slaves and dumb slaves. They got alley slaves and they got boulevard slaves. <laughs> Isn't that right? clarify these things so you'll understand. Back before Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, they had different types of Negroes. As Minister John has seen it pointed out so beautifully, they have, and also E. Franklin Frazier in his book, The Black Bourgeoisie, he illustrates it beautifully. And I, I would advise any of you who haven't read this book, Black Bourgeoisie, to get it. Uh, there's a bookstore, what's the name? Where's Gordon? Yeah, there's Gordon's bookstore on... On 43rd and Central, that's a black bookstore. I would never send you to a white bookstore. You want a black book, go on a black bookstore. Right. <laughs> In fact, if you want a white book, go on a black bookstore. Yeah. So you go in Gordon's bookstore, they're on 43rd and Central. And, and I think that's right. 45th, I'm sorry. 45th and Central. And uh, ask her if she has... <laughs> he slept under his master's roof. If somebody yelled house on fire, that house Negro would fight harder than the master to get the fire out. But that field Negro would be praying, Lord, let it burn. between the house Negro and the field Negro. The, the house Negro was integrated. He was in his master's house. He was nothing but a butler, but still he was in his master's house. Uh, he was a waiter, a servant, a high-class servant for his master. He talked a little better English than the field slave. The master let him learn English, not because the master loved him, but the master wanted him to know how to talk to his other white visitors who were coming to the house. He trained them a little better. He, the one in the field was trained to pull a plow, Plant, uh, like a hawk. But the, the Negro in the, in the house was trained to be a house Negro. That's the difference. He didn't love either one of them any better. If you got a plow horse and a race horse, 
You don't love either one any better. You 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 love the plow because it can plow, and you love the race because it can race. You if you see a man in the barn just rubbing his horse down, that don't mean he loves horses. He loves what he can get out of that horse. You understand? He trained, he trained one to plow for him, and he trained the other one to run for him. Then he get a dog and train a dog to fight for him. He get something else and train him to clown for him. He's a master of training. Well, he's been the same way during slavery. He got all these different kind of Negroes and training. He had, he had clowns on the plantation whose job it wasn't to do. His job, his job wasn't to remember to make people laugh. And he was a master. He could clown, Sam, Tom, and everything. But that was his living. He was just that particular, that was his category, that was his job. Well, now, when Lincoln uh, issued the Emancipation Proclamation, those Negroes didn't disappear. Say you have the same thing today. You have what's known as the House Negro and the Field Negro. Only today, the, the House Negro, he lives over here in this nice neighborhood, in a nice house, but he's still his master's next Negro. He's still just another, yeah, House Negro. He wants to live in his master's neighborhood. He wants to wear clothes like his master and talk like his master. Uh, work on his master's job. He'll rob you just like his master will, right? He'll, he, he, he'll, he won't he want to get, even get around you. He gets farther away from you than his master will. And on top of that, he don't want a black woman, he want a white woman. Well, back during slavery, the same thing. That house Negro had every white woman in the house. Yeah, he did. That's what he was, he was there for. He had to do what the master couldn't do. Do you understand? And it's the same way today with these house Negroes. They like to be around white people. Why? They're after their white woman. They just get crazy when they see her. Uh, and, and the white man don't have sense enough to see what's happening. language. If you're not out here for an English lesson, you go on back to school if you want an English lesson. I'm not here to tell you the truth, backwards, frontwards, or upside down, however it can be done. And as far as the English language, it's not mine, so you shouldn't mind if I mess it up a little bit. <laughs> the Honorable Elijah Muhammad has taught us that the only way that this can be corrected is that we must have some land. That's the only solution. And the professional so-called Negro should be made to see it. That the, what Mr. Muhammad is teaching will help them more so than anybody else. It'll make the black masses patronize the professional of his own kind. This doesn't mean that we hate the white man. But the white man got enough white people to be his customer. He got enough white people to, to serve him. We served him long enough. He got enough white people to stand around him and drool. Uh, we drooled over him long enough. It's time for us to get around here and drool over some black people. <laughs> and, uh, and this actually uh, eliminates all of the problems that have been created 
uh, by, uh, by the racial disturbances here in America. And the only one who can correct it uh, to it in its highest sense is the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. And I would like to say this in, in closing, that uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches us that it's better to be independent than dependent. If we follow the leadership that is recognized by the government, and I say it's recognized by the government because usually it gets government support. NAACP, the government gets government recognition and support. Uh, in fact, uh, Arthur Schlesinger, who was uh, president, one of President Kennedy's top advisors, he told the students at Spelman College, or in the entire Atlanta University uh, college system down there one day, I happened to be in the audience, that the, the, their salvation lies in the NAACP with Thurgood Marshall, Roy Wilkins, and Martin Luther King. I heard him tell him that with my own ears. And since he's Kennedy's advisor, I imagine he was speaking for President Kennedy. Uh, so naturally the students challenged him and tore his head up when he said that, because he made the mistake at the same time of attacking the Muslims. And you can't go too many places today and attack the Muslims and come out uh, on top. Black people are too wise for that. So the, uh, Mr. Muhammad teaches us the, the type of uh, solution that uh, Reverend Martin Luther King and his cohort are asking actually boils down to slavery. Uh, all they are saying is the black people here want love and recognition. They say all we want is to be recognized. That's what they're saying. Just recognize us as your equal. Why, good God. Uh, how you going to be equal without any land? Don't do it. You just recognize slavery. And the Honorable Elijah Muhammad says it's better to be independent than dependent, and the only way we can do that is to separate, have our own land, build something for ourselves, and in this way we can then be independent. Here in America, black people have knocked on their head that the white man has put on their head. They got not only not on their head, they got not in their head. That have been put there by the white man. And uh, and now here are they, this, this other leadership, black call it bourgeoisie leadership, uh, has a uh, house Negro leadership, has you and me uh, begging the man to put these knots on our heads and we integrate with it. Now, hi, hey, 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 if you if you saw a sheep that had been snatched by a wolf away from the uh, flock and taken into the wolf den and mangled, mutilated, and you came to help that sheep, could you help it by teaching it to stay in that wolf den and integrate with the off with the puppies? <laughs> uh, that's insane. And if it's in insane for some sheep to try and integrate with the puppies produced by the wolf that uh, kidnapped the sheep from their original herd or flock and took them into the wolf, then if that's insane to teach integration in that sense, it's just as much insane to teach black people here in America today. The offspring of those black people who were kidnapped from Africa 400 years ago by the white man. Now, uh, 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 it would take a wolf, a white wolf, to go into our homeland and kidnap us and bring us 9,000 miles away and strip us of our identity and knowledge to the fact that today, instead of thinking that we are sheep, we think we're the same as the wolf, and we're running around in the wolf, then telling him, I'm the same as you. How can a sheep be the same as a wolf?
after you. And it's trying to put knots on your head and chasing you. You don't feel safe until you get home inside the door and lock the door. Is that right or wrong? You can't deny that and stay intelligent. You don't feel safe until you get inside your door and lock that door. Then you sit down and... Because you're home. Is that right? Same way when you got your own country. When you're in a country and getting knocked on your head, you're getting gym segregated, abused, ridiculed, scorned, persecuted, prosecuted, and every other kind of uh, atrocity imaginable, you can never relax or feel safe until you get in your own country. Then when you get in your own country, you can lock your door, and you can let into your country whom you want, and keep out of your country whom you want. Is that right or wrong? See, so we look upon these other movements as a begging movement. I have nothing against King other than that he's a beggar. He's a beggar. Sorry, he's a beggar. Not only is he begging the white man to be recognized, but he's begging our people to turn the other cheek. Pray for those who use you despitefully. Suffer peacefully. Why, that's insane. You see a man down there suffering peacefully, that man's insane. You see a man praying for someone who has kidnapped him and Lynch him and made a slave out of him, I say, he's insane. Insanity, that's not religion, that's insanity. 